Welcome to Tea Talk. All of life flows from the spiritual center of the culture. If this center is healthy, the culture becomes healthy. Tea Talk is a time of intrigue, investigation, insight, and inspiration, enabling you on your life's journey. Invest in your future by gleaning from today's session. How many of you like to be liked? We all like to be liked. Isn't that right? We want everybody to like us, right? I mean, after all, I'm the greatest person you'll ever meet. Now, we don't say that, but, but when we meet somebody, I want them to like me, okay? And, and that's the way it goes. With this whole thing about approval addiction is, is really an addiction, <laughs> Here's what it says. I must be approved or accepted by certain others to feel good about myself. Now, here's the consequences. It's the fear of rejection. Now, how many of you carry on conversations and you're watching somebody's face? And the minute they give a certain response, you shut down. We've all done that. And why? Because the further I go into this thing, the more they're going to reject me. And I don't like that because I want to be accepted. Now, the answer to that, God's answer to that, is a great word called reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 talks about the ministry of reconciliation. We're all being reconciled back to God. It carries with it the idea of atonement. And atonement means to be brought back into fellowship. See, people that struggle with rejection, they are always kind of out of sync. They never really enter into fellowship. But, the, but there are people, but there are people, their whole agenda, you will never bring them to a place of satisfaction because they don't know how to have fellowship. And fellowship is not just eating dinner on the ground. Fellowship is linking spirit to spirit. Fellowship is connecting soul to soul. That's what fellowship is that I'm, I'm ready to lay my life down in a sense. It's, it's relationship. And all of us that struggle with this approval addiction, our relationship is based on the fact that we live in a bubble. But the truth is, and it's still in the church world today, is that we live in a bubble. And... Everybody, we'll have relationship with people until they invade our bubble. Have you ever had people get right in your face when they're talking to you? I mean, that, that just it makes me nervous because they don't get in my face, they get in my chest. But, but the reality is, is that they, they, they invade my space. And that's when I know that I still, at times, I have to wrestle with this thing. Because I... I want to maintain fellowship with them, but I'm defining what that fellowship is. This thing's a pretty strong thing. Rejection is a pretty strong thing. And you don't pray it off. You've got to walk it out. Because it comes and goes. All these things come and go. Depends on what you've been through that week, whether you're in this, man, somebody say something. 
I got up and preached, got through. I was, I needed somebody to come and tell me, man, I needed that message this morning. It wasn't for them to say it. I needed it. Yeah. And did they say it? Not at all. And I realized I got to wrestle through that thing. Now, it's not that we can't have those type of things, and we don't need to be, be afraid of that, but I was looking for it. You understand? There's a difference. See, I was looking for it. And so as a result of this, no, not only is reconciliation, but also it means it's a removal of enmity that stands between people and God. This hostility towards God, this, this anger, this, this, this uh, 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 lack of approval, okay? Um, here's, the, here's the Hebrew concept of this. Reconciliation. It means value taken from a thing and return to them reparation and restitution. In other words, something was taken away from us, but it has been given back to us. In the sin nature, because of Adam, our godly nature was taken away from us, but through Jesus, we've been reconciled back to God, and it has been given back to us, and we have been the restitution has been made and the restoration is there. And so now we don't have to live for man's approval. And how many people do we know that come through those doors that all their life they never lived up to the expectations? And so they battle this area of rejection. These are things that they're not iron sharpening iron. These are knives that there's sword fights going on. These are the things that keep us polarized. And everybody comes in with their own opinions and they want to do these things. Instead of being unified, when we have these type of things, we're sword fighting each other because they're invading certain things or there's certain things that are going on, you know, things like that. All right, let's go on to the next one, all right? I'll hurry along. By the way, let me say this about reconciliation. It deals with the blood. And here's two things that you've got to remember about rejection. First of all, you've got to understand you've got to understand the benefit of the blood. The blood has two purposes in the Scripture. Number one, it's for the remission of sins. Somebody has to understand the benefit of the blood when they come to Christ. Okay? For the remission of sins. The second thing is, according to Revelation, is that we might be overcomers. One is to come into Christ. The other is to live for Christ. And we are called to be overcomers. And so these things pop up from time to time. We have the benefit of the blood so we can overcome them. The next one is the blame game. This, is a, this goes all the way back to the garden. Adam, how, how many believe God knows everything? How many really believe God knows everything? God knows everything, right? Okay, let me ask you a question. Why did he, when he came to the garden, why did he say, Adam... Where are you? Now, we think God was coming to fellowship. But the Bible says that when Adam heard the sound of God coming, it sounded like a military army that was coming. God was ticked. He was angry. But God was upset, and he came as a judging force upon Adam and Eve for what they'd done. So he comes and says, Adam... What about this? He goes, hey, it wasn't me. It was a woman you gave me. <laughs> but, but what happens is, is what, happen, what, what happens with Eve? Eve comes along and says, hey, it wasn't me. It was a serpent. And what does the serpent say? It wasn't me. It was the devil or Satan. So it's blame game. 
Blame comes when we do not want to take responsibility. And we always direct it towards someone or something. And so blame comes along. What, what is it? Look what it says here. Those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. That's the blame game. The consequences is the fear of punishment or punishing others. The fear of punishment or punishing others. Now, God's answer is a biblical word called propitiation. Isn't that a great word? It has a great word. We don't know what it means, but it's a great word. Propitiation. All right? Uh, It deals with Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice for us. Go with me to 1 John chapter 2 and start at verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have a lawyer or an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So in other words, he takes all the blame away. You know, well, I'm just a sinner, you know. And I hear this a lot from people, that, and at times it's almost like it's a mockery of the blood of Jesus. I am not a sinner. I sin, but I am not a sinner. He took care of that with me when I covered myself with the blood of Jesus. And so I didn't say that I didn't sin. The Bible clearly t- points that out. But a sin, the, in, in, when Jesus talked to in the, in the Gospels, he would refer to two kinds of people. He referred to a sinner and he referred to the lost. Who was the sinner? He who knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is a sin. A sin. So, He was referring to people that understood the ways and the laws of God. He basically was talking to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes and all that. That's what he refers to in a sinner. It wasn't somebody out here that's never met Jesus. That wasn't even in the picture. He hadn't shed his blood yet. He hadn't hadn't sacrificed. It was somebody that was transgressing continually what they knew was was the, 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 the ways of God. A lost person was somebody that was lost. They had never experienced God. They had never been around God. They were Gentile in nature probably, et cetera, et cetera. You know? And so, so when we begin to look at this, we see that he paid the price for us. Now, go over to chapter 4. Chapter 4, and we'll start uh, reading um, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this we is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The whole idea of substitution and sacrifice goes all the way back to the garden. And I don't know how God took him into a dressing room. I don't know how God did that. But somehow he got the fig leaves off of Adam and Eve. Most pictures we see of a fig leaf, they're just these little things and they were all kind of strung together. 
Well, you got to realize in creation, everything was large. Now, the reason I know this is because I was just in the rainforest in Costa Rica, and they had leaves there that were taller than me. I could hide behind. And I, I kind of have a suspicion that's kind of what Adam and Eve had. These were big leaves. So he simply just had to take it off, and what did he do? He put on them animal skins. Why? Because the concept of shedding blood. Now, you, got, you go into more of this later on at some point. But the idea of a substituting sacrifice had to take place, or else they would have died. You understand? Am I, is that my correct? Yeah. All right. And so Jesus now does this for us, okay? The whole idea of this, okay? Luke chapter 18 Verse, starting with verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as a tax collector. I know a man that I heard about last night. We can put his name by there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off. Now notice, he doesn't understand propitiation. Why? Because, notice, he didn't feel he could approach God. And that when we get into this blame game and this idea of continually being punished, that God's punishing me, we, I want to say this to you, with a lot of our end-time teaching, we rejoice when humanity suffers for our benefit. What do I mean by that? Because we have come to believe that this world, as it gets more evil, we're going to get out of here sooner. And I don't see Jesus doing that at all. And the other part of that is it produces an escapist mentality, and when you have escapist mentality, it diminishes our dominion mandate that God gave us to go into all the world. And so we have to be very wise when it comes to this because we, get the, we have people getting this feeling like, man, if I mess up, bam, he's going to get me. If I do any evil, man, I am out of it. You know, and I don't believe in once saved, always saved, but I do believe in eternal security. The difference is my eternal security is in Christ. As long as I remain in Christ... I am saved and being saved until I am saved. Most of what's taught about once saved, always saved, is you just come confess Jesus and you're in. But, Col but Colossians really disputes that. And there's other passages. And was Jesus, was Judas around when Jesus breathed on the disciples? No, I think he'd gone out and hung himself at that time. So what happens to us in this time, especially in this blame game, is because we drop our heads and we say, yeah, that's what should happen. That's the way it should be. That's right. They're, they're getting what they deserve. And Now, mind you, I understand. I've said it and I still say it from time to time. Yeah, well, they, they set the course because the principle is you sow the flesh, you will reap to the flesh. Let's read on. He stood afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. Felt unworthy. But beat his breast, saying, God, be propitious to me, 
a sinner. Be propitious toward me through sacrifice. Be merciful to me. Here we see this word. Now write down these passages, and we won't take time to look them up, but write down Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 through 28, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 through 13. And it talks about Jesus becoming that sacrifice. Now, are there New Testament sacrifices? Absolutely. And this is what is our part. This is the aggressive part. This takes, this diminishes the blame game. And there are four New Testament sacrifices. Number one, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be a living sacrifice. Present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. Our reasonable act of worship is what uh, I think the Amplified says there. I think the uh, New American Standard says the same thing. Our reasonable act of worship. So that is a sacrifice we give unto the Lord. The second one is, is in the area of giving. Uh, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, he said that your giving is a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto the Lord. You know. Uh, another one is found in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. He says, let the sacrifice of our lips, you know, our praise unto God. Praise is a a sacrifice that we give unto God. How many of you know that sometimes you feel like praising and sometimes you don't? And then the last one is spiritual sacrifices, First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. talks about offering spiritual sacrifices as we're being built into the house of the Lord. All right, so, so the blame game, okay? The next one, the next one is shame. Shame deals with shame, inferiority, habitually destructive behavior pattern is the word. Now, what is God's answer? Renewal. Go with me to Titus, chapter 3, verse 3 through 7. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's corruption right there. That's the way we were. But verse 4 starts with a great word, but. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Washing. Uh, there's a debate whether he refers to water baptism there. I personally don't believe he's referring to water baptism when it comes to washing. I believe Ephesians tells us in chapter 5, verse 26 and 27, that he washes us with the word of God. That's the washing. You know, water doesn't change us. Water, water baptism is a picture, actually, to me, it's a spiritual act of circumcision of the heart in the New Testament. We see that this washing takes place, but he talks about this concept of regeneration. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, he talks about the day of regeneration, when the day of regeneration will come. Regeneration, boy, this is powerful. 
Regeneration means new birth, reproduction, renewal, and it deals with creation. It means to live anew. The Amplified says it this way. It is the messianic rebirth of the world. The message says it's, it's the recreation of the world. In other words, Jesus said that when he completed his task, the old world under Adam has now become the new world order under Christ. As a result of that, it's not superiority, but we don't have to live in inferiority. We don't have to live under that old man. We live under the new man, you know, in Christ. And so, so we see that there is this regeneration, washing of regeneration, and then there is the renewal of the Holy Spirit. There's much debate about the role of what happens with the Holy Spirit. If, if you're around Pentecostal people and you talk about the Holy Ghost, they get goosebumps all over them. Because they believe that the ultimate is that if you speak in tongues, you've got the Holy Ghost. Well, that's true, but I've also been around demonic people that spoke in tongues. And Paul dealt with that with the priest that they were contending with in the Corinthian church. They spoke in a form of tongues, even though it was uh, induced by some toxic not toxic, that's the wrong, wrong word, some psychotic uh, smell or whatever. And, but we do believe, I do believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I do believe that it is for us today. But it's not just to speak in tongues. The purpose of the Holy Spirit coming was to establish the government of God in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the resistance that takes place is we just limit it to an experience, we'll never appreciate the full government of God. And you know what? You're not going to need that when you get to heaven, but you are going to need the government of God. What got Satan, Lucifer kicked out of heaven is he violated the government of God. And so, so when he talks about this, this area of shame here, he talks about this renewing of the Holy Spirit. What brings about shame is the lack of self-government in our own lives. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us to overcome this area of shame by allowing us to understand the magnitude of what we have in the Spirit-filled life. There's a lady right now that we're working with. She's on a presbytery team that I work with. Up until about three years ago, she was paranoid to get before people and speak. She's a tremendous teacher. But all her life, she lived with this concept. But once she had the experience of the Holy Spirit, even though she had the experience of the Holy Spirit many years ago, she still, up until about two or three years ago, couldn't, couldn't overcome this. She still battled this. Why? Because she had an experience with him but she never allowed him to govern her. You understand? There's a difference. All right, so, why is that important? Because he comes, he brings the government of God, and he does renovation. He renovates our spirit. He re renovates our soul. He rocks our world. 
and he, he moves us over into that new world order where Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God's getting ready to make a move in the world again. And why that is so important is because of all the chaos. And wherever there's chaos, the Holy Spirit's working. Absolutely. The principle's right there in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. It was chaotic. It was a chaotic word, world. And see, one of the things it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, going to the uttermost parts of the world, the idea of the word uttermost parts of the world, you look it up, and what you'll find is that you go to those places that are out of rank and order. They're in a chaotic state. But, we, but, he, but he empowers us. The word it says there in Acts chapter 1 that, the, uh, that he'll give us the Holy Spirit and he, he'll come upon you and give you power to what? To be witnesses of me in Jerusalem. The word power there means God's ability. Shameful people won't use God's ability. They'll keep talking about how they can't do it. They'll keep convincing themselves, I, I'm not the one. I, I'm, you know, and I, it's, I'm just a poor little old me and all kinds, of, which is a false humility which has its root in pride. I'm nobody. You are somebody. You're a creature in Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. And you know what the word creature means there in 2 Corinthians 5? It means original Original formation. What he originally intended for Adam was to reign and rule and have dominion in the earth and meet up with God every day and to exercise that dominion mandate. That is exactly what Jesus came to do, that God's order and God's world could be put back and tracked, and you and I are the candidates to use that. I don't know about you, that excites me. That excites me. But shameful people can't do that. People that are uh, uh, always feel inferior, or or, or they, you know, their, their world is, you know, they, if God blesses me, I got to be careful because guess what? Sooner or later, it's all going to come crashing down around you. No, it isn't. He's taking you from glory to glory to glory to glory, from faith to faith to faith to faith. You get the picture? All right. Thank you for joining today in your pursuit of perfection and peace of mind. For more experienced and valuable choices, visit our website, terrylthompson.org. Stay connected for more life-changing and reliable systems of thought and renewal.